0: Unsolved Killers Amongst Us Episode 4 The Zodiac Killer The Zodiac Killer is the pseudonym of an unidentified serial killer who operated in Northern California from at least the late 1960s to the early 1970s. The Zodiac murdered victims in Benicia, Vallejo, Lake Berryessa, and San Francisco between December 1968 and October 1969. Four men and three women between the ages of 16 and 29 were targeted, with two of the men surviving the attempted murders. The Zodiac himself claimed up to 37 victims. The killer originated the name Zodiac in a series of taunting letters sent to the local Bay Press area. These letters included four cryptograms, or ciphers, of the four cryptograms sent. Only one has been definitely solved. Suspects have been named by law enforcement and amateur investigators, but no conclusive evidence has surfaced. The San Francisco Police Department marked the case as inactive in April 2004, but reopened it at some point prior to March 2007. The case also remains open in the city of Vallejo, as well as Napa County and Solano County. The Californian Department of Justice has maintained an open case file on the Zodiac murders since 1969. The Timeline Lake Herman Road Attack The first murders widely attributed to the Zodiac killer were the shootings of high school students Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday on December 20, 1968 on Lake Herman Road, just inside Benicia city limits. The couple were on their first date and planned to attend a Christmas concert at Hogan High School about three blocks from Jensen's home. The couple instead visited a friend before stopping at a local restaurant and then driving out on Lake Herman Road. At about 10.15pm, Faraday parked his mother's rambler in a gravel turnout, which was a well-known lover's lane for the teenagers of the area. Shortly after 11pm, their bodies were found by Stella Borges, who lived nearby. The Solano County Sheriff's Department investigated the crimes, but no leads developed. Utilising available forensic data, Robert Graysmith, a popular amateur investigator on the case, postulated that another car pulled into the turnout just prior to 11pm and parked beside the couple. The killer apparently exited the second car and walked around toward the Rambler, possibly ordering the couple out of the Rambler. Jensen appeared to have exited the car first, yet when Faraday was half out, the killer apparently shot Faraday in the head. Fleeing from the killer, Jensen was gunned down 28 feet from the car with five shots through her back. The killer then drove away. Blue Rock Springs Just before midnight on July 4, 1969, Darlene Ferrin and Michael Magoo drove into the Blue Rock Springs Park in Vallejo, four miles from the Lake Herman Road murder site and parked. While the couple sat in Ferrin's car, a second car drove into the lot and parked alongside them but almost immediately drove away. Returning ten minutes later, the second car parked behind them. The driver of the second car then exited the vehicle, approaching the passenger side door of Ferrin's car, carrying a flashlight and a 9mm Luger. The killer directed the flashlight into Magoo and Ferran's eyes before shooting them, firing five times. Both victims were hit, and several bullets had passed through Magoo and into Ferran. The killer walked away from the car, but upon hearing Magoo's moaning, returned and shot each victim twice before driving off. On July the 5th, 1969, at 12.40am, a man phoned the Vallejo Police Department to report and claim responsibility for the attack. The caller also took credit for the murders of Jensen and Faraday six and a half months earlier. Police trashed the call, to a phone booth at a gas station at Springs Road and Tulumon located about 3 tenths of a mile from Farron's home and only a few blocks from the Vallejo Police Department Farron was pronounced dead at the hospital and Magao survived the attack despite being shot in the face neck and chest Magoo describes his attacker as 26 to 30 years old 195 to 200 pounds 88 to 91 kilograms or possibly even more and 5 foot 8 inches tall a white male with short light brown curly hair the Letters On August the 1st, 1969, three letters prepared by the killer were received at Vallejo Times Herald, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the San Francisco Examiner. The nearly identical letters, subsequently described by a psychiatrist to have written by someone you would expect to be brooding and isolated, took credit for the shootings at Lake Herman Road and Blue Rock Springs. Each letter also included one-third of the 408 symbol cryptogram, which the killer claimed contained his identity. The killer demanded they be printed on each paper's front page, or he would... Cruise around all weekend killing lone people in the night, then move on to kill again until I end up with a dozen people over the weekend. The Chronicle published the third of a cryptogram on the page four of the next day's edition. An article printed alongside the code quoted Vallejo Police Chief Jack E. Stiltz as saying, We're not satisfied that the letter was written by the murderer, and requested the writer send a second letter with more facts to prove his identity. The threatened murders did not happen, and all three parts were eventually published. On August 7, 7th, 1969, another letter was received at the San Francisco Examiner with the sal- salutation, Dear Editor, this is the Zodiac speaking. This was the first time the killer had used this name for identification. It would go on to become a tagline. The letter was a response to Chief Stilt's request for more details that would prove he had killed Faraday, Jensen and Ferrin. In it, the Zodiac includes details about the murders which had not been released to the public, as well as a message to the police that when they cracked his code, they will have me. On August the 8th, 1969, Donald and Betty Hardin of Salinas, California, two English teachers, cracked the 408 symbol cryptogram. It contained a misspelled message which, in which the killer said he was collecting slaves for the afterlife. No name appears in the decoded text and the killer said that he would not give away his identity because it would slow down or stop his slave collection. Lake Berryessa. On September 27, 1969, Pacific Union students Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard were picnicking at Lake Berryessa on a small island connected to a sand spit by Twin Oak Bridge. A white man, about 5 foot 11, weighing more than 170 pounds, with combed greasy brown hair, approached them wearing a black executioner's type hood with a clip-on sunglasses over the eye holes and a bib-like device on his chest that had a 3 by 3 inch white cross symbol on it. He approached him with a gun, which Hartnell believed to be a 45 automatic. The hooded man claimed to be an escaped convict from a jail with a two-word name in either Colorado or Montana. A police officer later inferred he had been referring to Deer Lodge, Montana. When he had killed a guard and subsequently stolen a car, explaining how he needed their money and car to go to Mexico as the vehicle he had was true hot, he had brought pre-cut links of plastic clothesline and told Shepard to tie up Hartnell before he tied her up. The killer checked and tightened the bonds, after discovering that Shepard had bound Hartnell loosely. Hartnell ish initially believed this to be a strange robbery, but the man drew a knife and stabbed them both repeatedly, killing Shepard and wounding Hartnell severely. The killer then hiked 500 yards back to the road, drew the cross-circle symbol on Hartnell's car door with a black felt-tip pen and rope beneath it, Vallejo, 12th of the 20th, 1968. By knife. At 7.40pm, the killer called Napa County Sheriff's Office from a pay telephone to report his latest crime. The caller first said to the operator that he wished to report a murder, no, a double murder, before before stating that he had been the perpetrator of the crime. The phone was found, still off the hook, hook, minutes later at Napa Car Wash on Main Street in Napa by a KVON radio reporter, Pat Stanley, only a few blocks from the sheriff's office, yet 43 kilometers from the crime scene. Detectives were able to lift a still wet palm print from the telephone, but were never able to match it to any suspect. Presidio Heights attack Two weeks later, on October 11, 1969, a white male passenger entered a cab driven by Paul Stein at the intersection of Mason and Geary Streets in San Francisco, requesting to be taken to Washington and Maple Streets in Presidio Heights. For reasons unknown, Stein drove one plus block past Maple to Cherry Street. The passenger then st- shot Stein once in the head with a 9mm, took the wallet and car keys, and tore away a section of Stein's bloodstained shirt tail. This passenger was observed by three children across the street at 9.55pm who called while the crime was still in uh, progress. They observed the man wiping the cab down before walking away. Two blocks from the crime scene, patrol officer Don Fook and Eric Zelms responded to the call, observing a white man walking along the sidewalk to the east of Jackson Street and stepping onto a stairwell leading up to the front yard of one of the homes. The encounter lasted five to ten seconds. Two other police officers were alerted to look for a black suspect, and so they drove past the man without uh, actually stopping him. The Stein murder was initially thought to be a routine cabby killing, a robbery that has escalated. However, the San Francisco letter, uh, Chronicle received a new letter from the Zodiac containing a piece of bloody shirt and taking credit for the killing. The three teen witnesses worked with the police artist to prep a composite s- sketch of Stein's killer, and a few days later, the police artist returned, working with the witnesses to pre- prepare a second composite se- uh, sketch, which is now famous. Modesto. On the night of March 22nd, 1970, Kathleen Johns was driving from San Bernardino to Petaluma to visit her mother. She was seven, month, seven months pregnant and she had her 10-month-old year daughter in the car. While driving west on Highway 132 near Modesto, a car behind her bang, began honking its horn and flashing its lights. She pulled off the road and the man behind her explained that he observed her right rear wheel was wobbling and he offered to tighten the lug. So he did. And she hopped back on the highway and she kept going and her wheel fell off and the man pulled up again and said, you know, I can give you a ride to the nearest gas station. So they helped in the car. During the ride, they kept passing service stations, but the man would not stop. For about 90 minutes, he drove back and forth around the back roads near Tracy. When Johns asked why he would not stop, he would change the subject. When he finally stopped, she jumped out with her daughter and hid in a field. She claimed that the driver looked for her using his flashlights, telling he would not hurt her, before eventually giving up. Unable to find her, he got back into the car and drove away. John says that he told her to throw the baby out the window before she jumped out herself. Horrifying stuff. Between these murders, many, many letters were coming to the Chronicle. A famous one was a card, I hope you enjoy yourselves when I have my blast, which also contained the shredded piece of shirt from the cabbie earlier in the investigation. Paul Avery, a famous Chronicle reporter, had received a Halloween card signed with a letter Z and Zodiac's cross circle symbol. Handwritten on the card was a note Peekaboo, you were doomed. The threat was taken very seriously and received a front page story on the Chronicle. Soon after this letter, Avery received an anonymous letter alerting him to the similarities between the Zodiac's activities and the unsolved murder of Cherry Joe Bates, which had occurred four years earlier in Riverside in uh, Los Angeles, 400 miles away from the original crime scene. He reported his findings in the Chronicle on November 16, 1970. Going back to that murder, 18-year-old Cherry Joe Bates spent the evening at the campus library annex until it closed at 9pm. She was then followed into the parking lot and brutally beaten and stabbed to death. A man's Timex watch with a torn wristband was found nearby, and the watch had stopped at midnight, but the police believed the attack had occurred much earlier. Lake Tahoe Disappearance on March 22, 1971, a postcard to the Chronicle, addressed to Paul Averley and believed to be from the Zodiac, appeared to claim responsibility from the disappearance of Donna Lass on September the 6th, 1970. Made from a collage of advertisements and magazine lettering, it featured a scene from the advertisement for Porus Fines Condominiums and the Tex Sierra Club, Sought Victim 12, Peek Through the Pines, Past Lake Tahoe Areas and Around in the Snow. Zodiac's cross-circle symbol was in both the place or the usual return address and the lower right section of the front face of the postcard. Lass was a nurse at Sahara Tui and Hotel and Casino, and she had worked until about 2am on September 6, 1970, before disappearing. She was never found. What appeared to be a gravesite was found near the Claire Tapan Lodge in Northern California on a Sierra Club property, but an excavation yielded only a pair of sunglasses. Santa Barbara Attack In Vallejo times Herald story, appearing on 13th, uh, November 13, 1972, Bill Baker of the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Office postulated that the murders of young people in northern Santa Barbara County might have been the work of the Zodiac Killer. High school senior Robert Domingos and fiancé Linda Edwards were shot dead on a beach near Lompoc, having skipped school that day for senior ditch day. Police believe that the assailant attempted to bind the victims, but when they freed themselves and attempted to flee, they were shot repeatedly with a 22 caliber weapon. He then placed their bodies in a small shack and then tried to burn it down to the ground unsuccessfully. The final Zodiac letter. After the Pines card, the Zodiac remained silent for nearly three years. The Chronicle then received a letter from the Zodiac, postmarked January the 29th, 1974, praising The Exorcist as the best satirical comedy that I've ever read. The letter included a snippet of the verse from the Mikido and an unusual symbol at the bottom that has remained unexplained by researchers. Zodiac concluded the letter with a new score. Me, 37. San Francisco Police Department, 0. Now we get on to Suspects. Arthur Lee Allen is a key suspect in this case. He once worked at the cinema, where his favourite movie was The Most Dangerous Game, which is mentioned in his first letter. He also is convicted of various sexual misconducts and sentenced to prison. When he was first interviewed by police, he was hesitant to show them his Zodiac watch, which had the Zodiac symbol on it, which the police found mightily suspicious. When a warrant was served to search his house, the police turned up at his house and started searching. However, he was late, and when he turned up to protest they found that he had a bloody sack in the back of his, a bloody knife and a bloody sack in the back of his car, which he claimed to be just, it was just from the chicken blood, but he explained it before the police could even have an opportunity to explain it. Anywho, he used to work at a cinema where he saw The Most Dangerous Game, which I've already mentioned, and he used to write, or supposedly he wrote the posters, and the posters had the closest match to the Zodiac's handwriting that there's ever been found. However, when Robert Graysmith, the writer and amateur investigator, went to the manager of the cinema to talk to, uh, to, talk to uh, uh, him about Arthur Lee Allen's handwriting, the cinema owner claims to actually have written the letter. Uh, sorry, written the posters and hand-drawn the posters. So the question remains, who is the Zodiac? Uh, my belief is it was the cinema manager and um, Arthur Lee Allen working in conjunction. So the cinema manager wrote the uh, letters and freaked out the public and planned everything. And Arthur Lee Allen committed the murders and was the muscle, so to speak. Anyway, this has been another episode of Unsolved Killers Amongst Us. Tune in next week. I don't know what we're going to do next week, but we'll do something fun. Thanks for sticking around.